Hey listeners, welcome to episode 23 of Creme de la Crime podcast. This week we're headed to the state of Minnesota, and according to worldpopulationreview.com, Minnesota has 179 unsolved disappearances. Please keep in mind that this is based off of actual known reported cases. It is possible the real number is higher than that. So grab your wine and let's dive in to a little Minnesota true crime. You like that you sick son of a bitch? The first story is about Victor John Thiel, also known as Jackie Thiel. Victor Thiel was born on February 15, 1938, to parents Harold and Bernice. Most accounts refer to Victor as Jackie Thiel, and I read an interview done with two of Jackie's siblings named Annabelle and Faye that stated their mother did this on purpose. After Jackie disappeared, Bernice wanted to keep his full legal name a secret just in case her son came forward in the future because only the real Jackie Thiel would know his full legal name. Jackie had 14 other siblings in total, and the family grew up in Painesville, Minnesota. Annabelle said that Jackie was a quiet kid and a homebody. All the Thiel children were told that Jackie was slow, but it's not clear exactly what this means because of the time period. His siblings remembered that he was never allowed to run errands or do chores around the house like his brothers and sisters were required to do. Annabelle and Faye later stated that they don't believe Jackie was severely mentally disabled because he was allowed to attend school normally just like the other children. They do remember that Jackie was never allowed to go far from the family home without his parents. Annabelle stated, quote, they never let him go anywhere. I think he pretty much stayed home, end quote. The Thiel children had to go out and get water, fetch milk from the farm, and would often go to their aunt's house. Faye stated, quote, I knew that town backwards, end quote. Since Jackie was never allowed to go out on his own, both siblings agreed that if he had to walk anywhere, he most likely would have gotten lost even if the area looked familiar to him. It was Labor Day on Monday, September 4, 1944, as six-year-old Jackie prepared to start his first day of first grade the following day. Before we go any further, I wanted to make a quick note that World War II was in full force at this time. On the morning of Tuesday, September 5, 1944, it was reported that Jackie was so excited for school that he couldn't even eat breakfast that morning. Before the kids all left for school, his mom Bernice gave Jackie a letter for his teacher saying that one of Jackie's older brothers would be there when school ended to walk him home. There is no account of events available that states whether his teacher ever saw this note or not, and this was the last time Jackie's family would ever see him. The first day of school was only a half day and ended at 11.30 a.m. Bernice had specifically told Jackie he was to come home directly after school with his brother and stay at the family home. When the school day ended, his teacher walked Jackie along with his group of students out of the school to send everyone home. The group walked together with their teacher for a little ways before they started to branch off and head in the directions of their individual homes. 
Before sending Jackie home on his own, Miss Gladkey asked him if he knew the way, and both times he told her yes and pointed. But it was later revealed that he did not point in the correct direction of the family home. His teacher let him go, but Jackie would never make it home to his family. His sister Judy was quoted saying, and that was it. Nobody ever saw him again, end quote. The school wasn't far from his home, which was located on the corner of Lake Avenue South and East Railroad Street in Painesville, Minnesota, and his mom expected him to be home around noon that day. As time went on and he never came home, Bernice started to get worried. She called some of Jackie's friends and a few of the neighbors, but no one had seen him. That's when Bernice decided to call the police. A massive search was conducted for Jackie that included law enforcement, hundreds of volunteers, local Boy Scout troops, businessmen, farmers, family members, bloodhounds, and Civil Air Patrol. It was also stated that they even drained a septic tank located near his school to see if he had possibly fallen in by accident, but the tank was empty. The Painesville Museum Director Brian Haynes stated, quote, Something like this was huge news. It was in the papers, broadcast on the radio. I mean, the town basically shut down, end quote. Jackie's younger sister Judy was not even born yet when he disappeared, but she grew up hearing the story from her parents and older siblings. Quote, Jackie, my brother, was six years old when he went missing. They did searches. They had the whole town out searching for him. My mom went through all kinds of hell over this, end quote. Every building in town was searched. His sister Annabelle was quoted saying, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. In a town the size of Painesville, I figured someone would see him. End quote. Annabelle remembered that the weather was nice on the first day of school that year. But when they started searching for Jackie the next day, she stated, quote, The weather turned cold, rainy, and nasty. End quote. Jackie's disappearance quickly became statewide news. It was the bloodhounds that found the only real clue related to Jackie's disappearance. They picked up his scent and traced it down Augusta Avenue. The trail continued to the Crow River, leading west alongside the river and went as far as Highway 23 where it abruptly ended in a ditch there. No other trace of Jackie was ever found. There were some reported sightings even though no other physical evidence was found so I want to go through the sightings before I go through the possible theories. A couple returning from Long Lake reported seeing a small boy wearing a blue suit standing along the side of Highway 23 around 1 p.m. the day Jackie disappeared. Two local boys also reported seeing a small boy enter a light gray car on Highway 23 around 4.45 p.m. There were other witnesses that also reported seeing a young boy crying on the side of the road and near a church. None of these sightings could ever be confirmed. It was reported that the Wilmar police followed up on the lead regarding the vehicle that the small boy had been seen getting inside. This led them to a soldier who had been traveling with his brother and claimed he had stopped in Wilmar to get his starter fixed. It was never stated if police verified this brother and none of the family was ever asked to make an identification regarding this person. Ultimately, nothing more ever came from this lead. By September 15th, just 10 days later, 
Police no longer believed Jackie was in the area, so they reached out to other authorities across state lines. Years went by, and it was reported that at some point in the 1960s, Annabelle received a letter from Jackie's former teacher, Miss Gladkey. She claimed that she had met a man calling himself Jackie Thiel, who was getting off of a Navy ship in California. He had apparently told her that he had been adopted, but it could never be confirmed if this was in fact the real Jackie Thiel. I do want to make a quick note that a possible theory people discuss online is that this teacher was somehow involved in his disappearance. There was no evidence at all to point to this, but people stated they thought it was odd that she was the last person to see Jackie and also the person to report the sighting all those years later. To me, though, it kind of sounded like her sighting could be the result of a lot of guilt that she's probably carried for being the last person to see Jackie. Two decades after he disappeared, there was another reported sighting and the witness stated that a man had visited Tuck's Cafe in Painesville, saying his last name was Thiel and that he was looking for family members in the area. After being unable to find any Thiels listed in the phone book, this man reportedly left. Annabelle and Faye are skeptical of this story, simply because there were still Thiels in the area at this time and locals in the cafe would have known that. They also reported that in the 1980s when this took place, there were Thiels still listed in the phone book, so this person would have easily been able to find them. There are quite a few theories in Jackie's case, so I want to go through a few of the most discussed possibilities. The first theory is that he got lost while trying to go home and ended up dying from exposure to the elements and has remained undiscovered in the woods somewhere. Some thought he may have possibly drowned because of his scent being found along the river, but his siblings don't believe this is what happened because typically drowning victims end up surfacing and being found. People have also stated that they find it strange that he was supposedly spotted so many times the day of his disappearance but was never found. This has created speculation that these sightings were not actually Jackie. The next theory, and one that is always explored when a child goes missing, is the possibility that his parents were involved. Let me make it very clear that there has never been any evidence whatsoever to point to this, but like I said, it is something that is typically always mentioned when a child goes missing. It was reported that Jackie's father was not even home on the day he disappeared. Harold was actually a truck driver and had to be reached in St. Paul and told to come home after it was discovered Jackie was missing. Unfortunately, that still did not keep Harold from being a suspect. There were rumors that Jackie's parents had sold him for $500, but none of the Thiel children believed this is true, and once again, there was never any evidence to point to this. The last theory, and the one that seems the most likely to me, is that Jackie became lost and was walking along Highway 23 when a stranger stopped and picked him up. In fact, when he first went missing, people thought he may have been kidnapped for ransom, but the sheriff ruled that out because the family was not wealthy and also never received any ransom messages of any kind. Brian Haynes was quoted saying, There was lots of speculation, lots of rumors, and nobody knows. Nobody knows to this day what happened, end quote. 
Jackie's family strongly leans toward the abduction theory and thinks a stranger picked him up on his way home. The most agreed-upon theory seems to be the soldier abducting him. People speculate that this person stopped, picked up Jackie, and ended up raising him to believe that he had been legally adopted. Remember that I said World War II was in full swing at this time, and it was well known that soldiers in the Army could be discharged if they had a legal dependent. So this leads to the big question, did a soldier take him to get out of the war? Annabelle and Faye are also suspicious of this car sighting that picked up the young boy wearing a sailor suit that looked like Jackie, mainly because they stated it would be quite a coincidence for all these specific details to match their brother. As far as the rumor about their dad selling Jackie, Annabelle found this ridiculous and humorous, stating, If dad sold Jackie and if dad could have sold kids for $500, he should have sold more, end quote. Remember, the family had 15 children in total. Quote, I tend to believe that someone saw him wandering and picked him up. I don't see how it could have been anything else. End quote. The home Jackie grew up in with his family is now a vacant lot. His siblings stated that their father never showed much emotion, but Jackie's disappearance completely traumatized their mother. Quote, Ma turned gray overnight. She had salt and pepper hair, but she turned white practically overnight, end quote. Bernice would not allow any of the Theo children to wear sailor suits from that point on since that was what Jackie was wearing when he disappeared. Bernice never got over Jackie's disappearance, even throughout her time in the nursing home. Faye stated, quote, It was always a sore spot. I'd say after 10 or 15 years, they never said a word about it. It was always on my mother's mind, end quote. And Annabelle finished by stating, you don't get over something like that. You can only hash over something like that for so long, especially when there are no answers, end quote. Whatever happened to their brother that day, they hoped for the best, stating, quote, hopefully he had a good life. That's all we've ever said, end quote. Both of Jackie's parents died in the early 1990s with no answers about what happened to their son. Reports state that two of his siblings are still alive and still looking for answers. Jackie has never been declared legally dead because he was only six years old, had no assets, and there was no reason for him to be declared dead for estate purposes. He is still currently listed as missing. Unfortunately, there are no police records available regarding the investigation into Jackie's disappearance. One account stated this is because the records they have only go back as far as the year 1960, and another report stated the records had been destroyed in a fire at some point. The Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension told news outlet KARE11 that they were not the investigating agency involved and they also have no records regarding Jackie and he is not listed on the BCA's official Missing Persons Clearinghouse website. However, it was also reported that Jackie's mom kept the original BCA missing poster that also included his official case number tucked in her Bible until the day that she died. Jackie's little sister Judy stated, quote, I don't think you ever give up. My mom isn't here to do it, so I'll hope for her, end quote. 
Victor Thiel was last seen on September 5, 1944 in Painesville, Minnesota when he was six years old. He is a Caucasian male with blonde hair and blue eyes. At the time of his disappearance, he was three feet tall and weighed around 45 pounds. He was last seen wearing a slightly faded navy blue and white sailor suit with a square-cut collar that had three stripes on each sleeve at the wrist, high front pockets, long pants buttoned to the waist, brown short socks, new black shoes with a seam from toe to instep, and no undergarments. One of the buttons in the back of the suit was missing and had been replaced by a safety pin. Victor's nickname is Jackie, and most accounts refer to him by that name. He had a one-inch scar on the back of his head, a newly healed cut on the inside of his thumb, and a fresh scratch on his right cheek below his eye. If Jackie were alive today, he would be 84 years old. His case is classified as endangered missing. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Jackie Thiel, please contact the Stearns County Sheriff's Office at 320-259-3700. This next case is the coldest case I've covered to date. And this story is about Hickel Harley Ware. Hickel Ware was born to Richard and Lois Ware. He was last seen on June 11, 1938, in Bungo Township, Minnesota. There's not a lot known about his early life, and no record available that states his official date of birth. The only thing we know for sure is that Hickel was four years old when he disappeared all those decades ago. He was described as a tough kid who was practically immune to mosquito bites. He was always outdoors and very familiar with the wooded area surrounding where he lived, to the point his parents said he knew how to find fresh water to drink from streams or find berries that were good to eat even though he was only four years old. Hickel's parents described him as having, quote, very light hair, blue eyes, and a slight difficulty of speech, end quote. The lack of information available makes this case a little shorter than usual, but it felt really important to make sure Hickel's story is never forgotten. The timeline of events in this case are pieced together through the news articles released when he disappeared, as well as an interview done with his niece Connie in June of 2022. Connie never met her uncle Hickel, but she grew up hearing the story from her mom. Cass County Sheriff's Office does not have any records going back to 1938, so news articles that ran the story on the front page are the only accounts available from the time of his disappearance. Hickel was known as a bright young boy, and he went by the nickname Punky. After he disappeared, local community members quickly came to know him as the Lost Boy. As a kid, Hickel was known to disappear for short periods of time. He was prone to wandering off into the woods and sometimes would be found sleeping in a random area near a building. On Saturday, June 11, 1938, Hickel went out in the meadow near the family farm with his two older brothers between noon and 1 p.m. that day. Richard Jr. was 13 years old at this time and Bob was 10 years old. It was stated that there were some cows that had gotten loose from the farm 
and his two older brothers headed to the area to round them back up and get them where they needed to be. They told Hickel to stay where he was in the field and not move until they came back. This was the last time anyone would ever see or hear from Hickel. When his brothers returned to the field, there was no sign of Hickel anywhere. According to the testimony given by his brothers at the time, they were, quote, gone but a few minutes before they returned back to a completely empty meadow. After his parents and siblings could find no sign of him, the Cass County Sheriff arrived at the scene around 6 a.m. the next morning. Friends and neighbors volunteered to help search for Hickel, who was last seen barefoot and wearing tan overalls with a blue and white striped shirt. Search crews, including National Guardsmen from Camp Ripley, Civilian Conservation Corps members from Park Rapids, Cass Lake, and other surrounding areas, along with at least 1,500 other volunteers, searched the thick wooded area for about a week without finding any sign of Hickel. Bloodhounds were brought in from La Crosse, Wisconsin, and later from New Ulm, Minnesota. It was stated that the searchers were so dedicated that they would search all day long and then sleep in their cars or on the ground at night and begin searching again the following morning. It was called in the local newspaper, quote, the greatest manhunt ever staged in northern Minnesota, end quote. During the searches, some people claimed they had heard a faint cry like that of a small child, and others reported they had found fresh tracks in the mud Sunday and Monday that looked like they had been made by a child. There was also a report made that stated fresh bear tracks were found nearby. By Monday night, it had rained, weakening Hickel's scent and making it even harder to find any trace of him. Law enforcement made a statement in a later article saying they did not believe fresh prints had really been seen by the searchers and that Hickel most likely died during his first night in the woods from exposure. A community collection took place to secure the funds needed to feed the searchers and offer a reward for Hickel. It was reported that the daily cost to feed everyone was between $500 and $700 and required around 400 loaves of bread and 35 pounds of butter to make sandwiches per day. I did, of course, look this up. And if they spent the lowest estimated amount per day at $500 in 1938, today that would be the equivalent of $10,525 per day. There was roughly $100 left over from the collection to go towards the reward, and Hickel's father Richard doubled it himself, raising it to $200. So that reward would be the equivalent of $4,210 today. There were a few reported sightings after Hickel disappeared. A local newspaper reported on June 22, 1938, that a neighbor had come forward and stated they had seen two strange men in the immediate vicinity where Hickel disappeared. When authorities investigated this particular area, there was reportedly fresh dirt that had obviously been disturbed, but after digging up this location, still no trace of Hickel was found. A nearby farmer also claimed he had seen a truck go speeding by him on the day Hickel disappeared that had a young boy crying inside. Nothing else was ever reported any further about this sighting other than the fact that it did not pan out when police tried to look into it. A fortune teller came forward a little bit later that stated an old man had found Hickel wandering in the woods and had taken him home to live in the swamp and wooded area with him. 
This person said that the man had no television, radio, or access to newspapers, so he kept Hickel because he didn't know there was a search being conducted for him. Since there were no other leads at the time, law enforcement followed up on this and did actually end up finding a man living in the area that had been described, but they did not find any trace of Hickel ever being there. Letters from all kinds of strangers with theories flooded the family after the disappearance. In an article released on June 17, 1938, his mother Lois was quoted saying she did not think her son would have wandered into deep water on his own and that she believed someone must have taken him. Authorities were skeptical of the kidnapping theories because the land Hickel had been on was not easily accessible to outsiders. They believed it was very unlikely that someone would know Hickel would be out in that meadow alone or have been able to time a kidnapping in the short amount of time his brothers were away. His cousin Connie said there was another rumor that claimed Hickel had been buried in the concrete under a barn that had been built at a local farm shortly after he had disappeared. Quote, A lot of that stuff is just made up, but we don't know for sure. I truly believe that he was just lost, and it was sad, but they never found him. That's what was even sadder yet and it changed my grandma. My grandma was devastated. My mom did say that she had to hang on to her youngest brother. That's what grandma said. Hang on to him. Don't let him go. And so she had him in her arms the whole time, and she was just a little girl herself. End quote. Connie expressed in the interview how much Hickel's disappearance affected their entire family as a whole. She shared how she hardly ever let her own kids out of her sight after hearing the full story of what had happened to her uncle. Quote, It was just how we grew up. My mom was very, very protective of my brothers and I, and this is just something that made me the mom that I am. My children had to live with it. You can't go across the street. You can't do anything. I was scared because my mom lived it and her brother never came home. End quote. As decades go by, the number of people who remember the story of Hickel Harley Ware are few and far between. But my hopes in sharing his story is to bring some new attention to it. No matter how long someone has been missing, there is always the hope that they will be stumbled upon and found at some point so the family and case can finally receive some answers. Richard Ware Sr. died serving in the line of duty as the police chief in Evans, Colorado in 1953. He was only 51 years old at this time. It was reported that a man shot him to death after he had been issued a court summons regarding a traffic violation the day before. After Richard's death, Lois Ware remarried a man named Glenn, and she later passed away in 1983. All four of his siblings also passed away with no answers about what happened to their brother. When Connie was asked if she believes she will ever get answers, she replied, quote, Realistically, no. But could it help save some other child? Yes. That's what I would like is that other children get saved and things like that don't happen or accidents like that don't happen because no one knows what it was. End quote. Hickel Ware was last seen on June 11, 1938 in Bungo Township, Minnesota when he was four years old. He was a Caucasian male with blonde hair and blue eyes. At the time of his disappearance, he was wearing a blue and white striped shirt, tan overalls, and no socks or shoes. Hickel had a slight speech defect and his height and weight at the time are unknown. 
his case is classified as endangered missing. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Hickle Ware, please contact the Minnesota State Police at 651-227-6000. That is all I have for this week's episode, but if any of my listeners have a loved one that disappeared and you would like their story shared in a future episode of this show, please reach out via email, crimdelacrimepodcast7 at gmail.com, head over, rate, and review the show, and don't forget to follow me on Instagram at crimdelacrimepod. As always, keep your eyes and ears open out here. Until next week, this is Sam signing off.